0: We should do the U version thing. U um, version. U version! So, U version is awesome. It's an app on your phone if you don't know about it already. Um, what's really cool is we have a reading list on there this week. Um, Megan has it, I copied it. We also have Bible studies for follow up from the sermons. So, if you want to, like, you know, read your Bible every day, the phone will che- chirp and have you read something. It's awesome. And then finally, we also have. Kind of like a bulletin outline, so uh, you can tell how much longer I'm going to keep talking and talking and talking and talking. Oh, he's got one Bible verse left. Great. Okay. So, it's awesome. If you don't have it yet, I encourage you to grab it. It's on your phone. It's on your tablet. Whatever. Um, Cool. All you teenagers should have it already. Looking at you. Um, (laughs) So, Megan, um, last week, challenged you guys with the It's Your Move Cornerstone thing. And a lot of that was based off this book, and Servolution, and some other ones. I just only grabbed this one. Um, And you guys did awesome. Um, One of you, in fact, wrote us a letter. Now, I didn't ask the person who wrote the letter if I could read sections of the letter, so I'm going to leave it anonymous. But I wanted to read some of it for you, because it's awesome. When we, me and my husband, were sitting out on the deck discussing ways we could serve others, he literally had tears in his eyes when you talk about all the things he wanted to do to pay it forward and be the hands and the feet of Jesus. A little later, thank you for the reminder that serving does not have to be a huge project or anything. It just takes love and a willingness to act and will be guided on what we should do. I'm proud of you guys. It was really good. I've also been watching you guys on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, posting things about the things that you've done using the hashtag. It's awesome. And finally, since I was away at minicamp, and I'm like not a real good homeowner, so I left without my mo- my lawn mowed. And somebody, I don't know who, mowed my lawn while I was gone. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, so I had to. okay. I will bless you in the way a youth pastor blesses you always. May there always be a piece of pizza left over, and may your soda never be flat. Uh, that's the best I got. All right. <laughs> so, I'm really proud of you guys for all this, because you are living out a Bible verse. Actually, kind of a couple of Bible verses. And it's a Bible verse called The Greatest Commandment. Megan talked about it last week. It's Matthew 22. Here, let me read it for you now. and I'm going to read it off the paper so I get it right. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself and you guys have been kicking butt with that this last week and i encourage you to keep doing it this coming week and on and on and on for the rest of the summer but this bible verse has always raised a question in me and i think it probably whether you know it or not raises a question in you too who is my neighbor This isn't a new question, in fact. This is a question that humans have been asking since we were told to love each other. Who's my neighbor? It should be pretty simple, right? I've got my neighbor on my right side. I've got my neighbor on my left side. My street address is 115. I've got 117. I've got 113. If I'm feeling really good, you know, like work went well, uh, the people across the street are my neighbors too, right? And when I got home from uh, uh, Knovel's, no, from minicamp, and my lawn was mowed, like, everybody on my street was my neighbor then. I was like, yeah, we rock, I love my street. It seems obvious, right? Like, I shouldn't have to ask that question. And yet, I still feel like there's something more going on there. I mean, if God went out of his way to say, love your neighbor as yourself, he couldn't have just meant the people on either side of me. So, a guy in Jesus' day was struggling with this too. I'm going to read you a story out of the Bible. You should have expected this. Um, (laughs) This guy was a religious leader, an expert on the law. So kind of like a lawyer, kind of like a theology student. It's a little weird. It happened 2,000 years ago. I'm going to try to bring you up to speed as much as I can this this morning. Man, (laughs) I'm a little tired. So let's jump right into it and we'll see this interaction between this expert in the law and Jesus. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind— And, love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Now, Jesus kind of asked him a question back. Like, I bet Jesus kind of knew who this guy was a little bit. And was like, oh, you're an expert in law, huh? Well, I know the answer. Let's see if you know the answer. And so this guy quotes two verses out of the law. The first five books of the Bible, also called the Pentateuch. He quotes one out of Deuteronomy, and he quotes one out of Levit- Leviticus. So let's have a look at those real quick. Um, I want you all to uh, respond after me. The first thing he quotes is the Shema. Can you guys say Shema? Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for listen, and it's like an active word. It's not like passively listen, it's actively listen. And it's the first word, ironically, in the verse. So, and it's really important for like human history, but let's, let's read it quick. Hear, O Israel... The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's the Shema. It is the foundation for this concept of monotheism. That there is not many gods to worship, many gods to worry about, but there is one ultimate God. We'd forgotten it for a while, and God revealed it to the Jews once again. And it's here in Deuteronomy. Spoken to them right before they entered into the promised land. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then, love that guy with everything you got. And the expert in the law quoted that. Super important. He also quoted a little bit more obscure verse out of Leviticus. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. And then to drive it home, I am the Lord, as if to say, like, I'm your dad. You gotta listen to me. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this expert in the law, he he proved his chops a little bit, right? Gold star, great job. And then he keeps going. How many of you guys keep going when you shouldn't? I do it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) but if he wouldn't have kept going it probably wouldn't have made it into the bible and we wouldn't even know have this story so i'm kind of glad he did so let's keep going with it luke 10 29 but he wanted to justify himself so he asked jesus and who is my neighbor now i always read this as kind of like a he's a he's kind of not a great dude right like he's I mean, I was already a little biased because of the lawyer thing, and um, if any of you are lawyers, I love you. I just don't always like what you have to do. Um, he, and now he's trying to justify himself by, like, asking this weaselly question, like, so who's my neighbor then? But it's a thing we're all doing, right? Deep down in my heart, every time I see somebody in need, the first thing that pops into my head, whether I like it or not, is, who is my neighbor? Is that person My neighbor? And this guy has even more justification behind him. In researching this, I learned that the popular teaching of the Jews at the time was only righteous people are your neighbor. They actually taught this. You don't have to listen to those Samaritans. You don't have to listen to those Romans. They're not your neighbor, just the Jews. Just the practicing Jews. Only the righteous are your neighbor. They actually taught that. And they have some justification from this weird reading of Psalm 139, but I don't don't think that's right. And so Jesus, in real kind of frustrating Jesus fashion, I'm allowed to say that. It happens sometimes. He doesn't answer the question directly. Like, I really want a direct answer sometimes, right? But he, like, never does it. So he answers with a story. It's a good story, though. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. All right, so we got to stop the story real quick because I have to explain something. It's going to be important later. So Jesus starts this story about a guy walking down a road. Now, it just wasn't any road, though. The Jews all knew this stretch of road. It was famous, but not like Route 66 famous in a good way. It was famous in a bad way. It's got a really metal name. It's called the Way of Blood. The Way of Blood, really metal name. And it was a, called the Way of Blood because it was a really dangerous stretch of road. Jerusalem is at, on a mountaintop, 1,200 feet. And Jericho is two feet below sea level. And it's about a 20-minute drive. So in that short distance, you descend fast. So there's a lot of twists and turns, and to make matters worse, it's really arid. And We've got a picture of it up there. And there's lots of stuff to hide behind. It's a bad place to live. It's a bad place to have a business. It's windy and turny. And it's just begging for ambushes. So it's called the way of blood because for generations people would get beaten and robbed there. It was a bad stretch of road. People would go out of their way, travel an extra day just to not have to walk on this road. We don't know why this guy was walking on the road, but he was totally walking on the road. And we're going to find out, not a great ending. So let's let's get to that. The way of blood, this dude's walking on the way of blood, and he gets beaten. They stripped him, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. So now three characters come along. Three characters. Come along. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he helped him. Right now, he passed by on the other side. This priest, supposed to be a good dude, walked all the way onto the other side of the road to give him a wide berth. Didn't want to see him. Mm. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now Levites kind of hard for us, right? Like we don't have Levites anymore. Maybe a better translation would be like church elder, like Rob Morris. Hi, Rob. <laughs> so Rob Morris is walking by and he sees this guy, and he's like, "Oh man, the IRS got him! Oh, <laughs> got audited. That's what happens." But Rob Morris passes by on the other side. I, ha- I like to know, I know Rob, I think we're friends. I think we're friends, right? Uh, we were. <laughs> and I like to think that Rob was sad. His heart went out to him, but Rob still passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now we got to stop right there, because Samaritan's hard too. We don't have Samaritans anymore, do we? If you've heard the word before, maybe you grew up in church or, you know, you just heard it in popular culture, um, Samaritan means something good, right? Well, not to the Jews. I was trying to think of a good way to, like, illustrate this to you. So at first I was like, all right, like a, like a hell's angel, a biker, Aryan Brotherhood tattoos, leathers, bad dude, right? Nobody likes him, but that's not enough, um, and I was thinking about the revenues, you know, IRS coming after you. Nobody likes them, right? But nah, it's still not bad enough. Um, and then I remembered, uh, when I was a college student, there was this guy who left America, went to Afghanistan, and joined the Taliban to fight against the American troops. An American went to join the enemy and fight against his own people. And that was just disgusting to me, especially because uh, a lot of my friends that I graduated with were fighting at the time. Um, My best friend was in the military at the time. So if any of you guys remember that story, you remember an American joining a country that hated us and fought for them, then you'll understand how the Jews felt about the Samaritans. They were half Jews. They had their own temple where they claimed to serve their version of God. They were the proto-Palestinians. They would have been killing each other, the Jews and the Samaritans, if Big Brother Rome wasn't there to beat them all down and keep the peace. They hated each other so much that later on, Jesus is going to talk to a woman at a well who was a Samaritan, and she is flabbergasted that he would give her the time of day much less speak to her gently. In fact, I imagine when Jesus is telling this story to the crowd, this is the point where they all went, a Samaritan. So keep that in mind. This was not a person that was liked. It was a person that was disliked. Let's keep going with the story. The Samaritan went to him, the guy that got beat up, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine like an early Jewish version of a first aid kit. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. That one's hard too. That's like 400 bucks. That's two days wages. Two denarii, $400, and gave it to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. How many of you guys have like 400 bucks you could just give me right now? Not alone, just, right? Don't do it. (laughs) Ruining my illustration. (laughs) How many of you guys have 400 bucks for somebody that, you know, is on the side of the road with a flat tire? How many of you guys have 400 bucks for some deadbeat who's strung out on the side of the road? This is what that Samaritan did. He got off his own donkey, and he let the hurt guy ride the donkey. He used his only first aid kit to take care of the guy's wounds. And then he dropped two days' wages without batting an eye on the innkeeper and said, I'll give you even more when I get back. If you're a small business owner, you know the innkeeper probably incurred more costs than two days' work, even if he had to work a little bit harder to make The costs happen. This is weird, man. This is crazy. This is superhuman love. Superhuman love. So let's keep going with the story. So Jesus then turns us all around back onto the lawyer again. It says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Now, this might be a bunny moment, but um, he does this all the time. People are always asking me how God talks to them, how God interacts with humanity, and it's never straight and direct. He's always telling us stories. He's always flipping things on its head. He's always taking what we think we know, I know who my neighbors are, It's 117 and 113, and he kicks it to the curb and says, you have no idea how I set this thing up, but I'm going to show you. He does it to the lawyer. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of the robbers? And so the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So while I was getting ready for this sermon, I found um, that this story, this parable, was preached on by Martin Luther King in his last sermon. The day before he died, he used the Good Samaritan extensively in his sermon. And he says this about the Good Samaritan. I imagine that the first question the priest and Rob Morris asked was, uh, he didn't actually say that, um... The priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the good Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You see the dichotomy there? You see the difference? The first two guys were thinking about me. And the Samaritan was thinking about other. Not just thinking about other, but thinking about enemy. Not just thinking about enemy, but thinking proactively and aggressively, intentionally, about how he could be a blessing to the other person. I like to say that um, when he heard this, the expert of the law had a eureka moment. You guys ever had a eureka moment? Where something just clicks into place? So I work on my house a lot, right? And up until about a year or two ago, I was using Phillips head drywall screws for everything. They're not the best screws in the world. They came out real easy. Uh, came out means the tip just chews up the head and you can't like get it in or out anymore. Um, and then one day I went to Home Depot and I was looking for screws and they were out of what I normally buy. So I had to buy these double-priced Torx head premium screws. Torx head is like a star tip. And, oh man, I've never gone back. They're fabulous. I love them so much. I geek out about this in such a weird way. Um, Every screw goes in the first time. It stays on the end of your bit so that like when I'm like, uh, first time, always cuts through, always binds up, heads never break. And if I got to like put something together and take it apart again, uh, I can use the screw like five or six times. It stays sharp. I love these screws. I love these screws so much. Youth group, not as much as you, but it's close. Um, (laughs) And it was a eureka moment for me. Spend a little bit more money, and I cut my time in like a third. Projects go faster. I spend more money, but I'm not angry anymore. Um, (laughs) It's a eureka moment. And this lawyer who had been taught his whole life that only the Jews are your neighbor has a eureka moment. And he realizes that God's got more for him than He thought. Every time we watch a story or watch a movie, we always put ourselves in. "I'm always Luke Skywalker, Fighting the Evil, Force." You might always be the Disney Princess singing and having like, the birds do your laundry. Um, we always put ourselves into the story. And where we should put ourselves into this story is the position of the lawyer. Because we all, whether we want to be it or not, have unintentionally narrowed the scope of who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is just the people who are like us, right? If I'm a steelworker, my neighbors are my fellow steelworkers. If I live on Center Street, my neighbors are my Center Street people. But it's more than that. It's the people I don't expect to be my neighbors. It's the people I'm not looking to be my neighbors. And so we as a people need to start looking, seeking out, chasing down people to love, people to serve, because we are the hands and the feet of God. Cornerstone, I told the first service this, and I want to tell you guys too, in no uncertain terms, I am proud of you. I am. I left Reading... Where I had a good job with some other churches. And I came here because here I found something special. I found a people that were willing to get their hands dirty. I found a people who were willing to let the pretenses of religious church go and just do what needs to be done. I found a people who were willing to go the extra mile and change the place where they lived. And time and time again, you have made me proud because you're doing it. But we can do better. We need to do superhumanly better, and I think we can. So, uh, Bob Goff, he wrote this book, and I cannot recommend it enough. It's easy to read. It's called Love Does. Each chapter is easy. You could read it in a week. Even if you don't read books, you could read it in a week. My dad, not a book smart dude, could love, read this and love it. And in it, he talks a lot, extensively, about being the hands and the feet of God. But not just that. He talks about, well, here, let me read you a quote. The quote comes from a chapter where he's talking about the day you got married and they dropped the wedding cake and uh, without anybody knowing they gathered all the pieces together put some more icing on it and still fed it to people (laughs) it's fantastic you should buy the book just to read that chapter it's chapter eight it's great okay but at the end of the chapter he makes a connection to how we're supposed to interact with humanity he says this yet jesus continues to select broken and splattered people not just as followers but as participants He called people like me, who can't even figure out which end of a plastic bag to open, his hands. And he called people who trip every day his feet. And he called people who can't figure out which way to turn a screw to tighten it, or even stack a cake correctly, the ones who would build up a kingdom. You are probably sitting here thinking that you don't have anything to offer. That you're a very bad example of the hands and feet of God that you need to have some sort of superhuman skills to change this world. But I want to share something with you real quick. Um, there is no good reason I'm up here. There is no good reason that I work with teenagers. As a kid, I was the quiet kid who stayed in his room and read books and built stuff. I had no patience for my sister. Zero Cool. Okay. Um, No patience at all. And if you know anything about teenagers, they're a little bit annoying. I love all of you so much, but you're a little bit annoying. (laughs) It's true, Mikey. I'm sorry. (laughs) I am not able to be up here and talk in front of a group of humans without God's help. I'm not able to have more patience than I should to deal with the teenagers because God fills me. I'm not able to keep on task and study and try to change this world other than the fact that God is in me, living, giving me supernatural power to do superhuman things, to love in superhuman ways. And that is available to all of you. Trust me, if I can do it, anybody can do it. For real. So what's stopping you? Cornerstone, we do a good job, but we can do better. Each of you lives in a world. Co-workers, family, friends. The same people you see at the bank every time you're there. Same grocery cashiers. You live in a little bubble, and that's not bad. But here's the thing. When something goes wrong and we wonder where God is, he's in you. There's nobody else. You are the hands and feet of God to your little world. And there is no one else who can do it. There's you. That's it. You've got to step up You've got to bring yourself together. You've got to find the strength. You've got to pray for the superhuman patience that you need and you need to do it. And with God's help you can. When the when you're just drained and that coworker needs to talk, God'll get you through with the patience to not only listen but to smile when you're exhausted because of a long week of work and we have a storm and there's trees on people's houses, God will give you the strength, and you've already shown me this, to go and cut the trees up and take care of them. Cornerstone, you did great with that. You'll do it again, I know. But there's no one else to do it other than you. So if it's your first time here this morning or it's your first time in a church in general, I want to make sure we don't get something twisted. Um, This is not how you purchase God's approval. You can't do that. You absolutely can't purchase God's approval. This is how you prove that it's already working in your life. So this is what the gospel is, that God, without our asking, in fact, while we were his enemies, he came and he... Paid the price that we owed him. He fixed it. It's done. He did it. So all these good works I'm talking about will not purchase you his approval. But if you have taken his free gift of reconciliation, if you have taken his free gift of getting right with him, then these good works are how you prove that that work is happening and how you open yourself up to seeing more and more superhuman power coming into you. It's the avenue that you open your heart up and create more room for God to be in your life. So if it's your first time here this morning or you've been twisted with God for a while, maybe you need to make a move and get reconciled with him. Maybe you've been living... And moving and grooving and doing good stuff when it falls into your lap. What I want you to do this morning is to make a move and start being proactive to look for these things. And finally, if we get this going and firing on all cylinders, then we can together make a move to fix the way of blood. To fix the broken roads that are in our community. Ladies and gentlemen, if we get this going, Cornerstone could impact Duncannon. Cornerstone could come together and fix Perry County. Cornerstone could have an impact on all of central Pennsylvania. Not because we've deserved it or earned it, but because we're doing the little things. Loving our brothers, our sisters as ourselves. Giving that annoying neighbor some time even though you've had a long day. Helping out even though you're exhausted. It's your move, Cornerstone. Nobody else is going to do it. Can you pray with me? Father God, you are... Good. And I have no idea why you picked me to do this. But thank you. Lord, I know that it's your spirit inside of us that strengthens us, Lord. If there's anybody here that is sideways with you, that doesn't have access to that supernatural power to do these superhuman acts of love, Lord, I pray that you would call them to yourself, Lord. And if any of us are hesitant about going out and finding who our neighbors are, about finding ways to be proactive about serving our community and loving on people, Lord. Give us that boldness. Give fire in our heart. Annoy us with this, Lord. It's important. And Lord, I pray as we grow together as a community and we get these things online, Lord, I pray that you would change Duncannon, that you would change Perry County, you would change Central Pennsylvania, and let the enemy be scared when he hears our name. You are such a good God, And I thank you for our people. We love you, Lord. Amen.